dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Christ calls us to be leaders, but what exactly is the point of the leadership to which he calls us? In Solovinsky's Rules for Radicals, he presents a vision of leadership devoid of an ultimate end goal. Instead, he insists on the ultimate relationship between leadership and the power to wield it. Couldn't this be a Catholic moment? Isn't this an opportunity for us to build a bridge with his thought, part two of my series on Sololinsky's Rule for Radicals continues. All right, everybody. So we're going to be continuing on our course on the Rules for Radicals by Sololinsky. We all remember uh, who he is. This book was written one year before he died as kind of like his legacy after being what he calls a radical and an organizer for the majority of his life. Um, so this is really important. This guy historically was very active in the 40s, 50s, and 60s on the American scene and wrote down for, in us, for us in this book the secrets to his success. And of course, this book's really important for us because we know that even United States presidents have been formed under his thinking. Uh, Barack Obama, for example, uh, was a graduate of his program for community organizing. So what exactly does Alinsky allege? I want to go through this book with you, you know, and, and, and chapter by chapter. And it's a difficult read because honestly, there's a lot that's very good in what he writes. And that's the first point that I want to make for you. As easy as it is to fall into the temptation of just discrediting him because you might not like his politics or the fact that on the opening page, he has a quote in which he quotes himself uh, in a complimentary form to the devil, like actually throwing compliments towards the devil. That's, of course, very disturbing. And, you know, a Catholic ear will pick up on this and say, this guy is not even worth reading, etc. But actually, when you read what he says, there's a lot in it that's compelling, that's convincing, and that is effective. And therefore, what we, we need to read it to understand, on the one hand, how this world works. I'm actually mesmerized because if you want to get something done in a worldly way, this is a book that will give you the answers. Right? It's a, this is one of those, those books that just really describes almost like if you don't want to follow in the light of faith, but you just want to get stuff done, this is a rule book that's extremely effective. It, he's a master at understanding the, the human heart and the laws of human psychology and the ability to manipulate them for your own ends. And I, I think it's, with, it's definitely without, it's not pure chance that he quotes Machiavelli several times in this chapter and that he makes a direct reference 
to his work as being a continuation of Machiavelli's. Remember what we looked at in Machiavelli? Machiavelli has a philosophy that says, look, morality and leadership have nothing to do with each other. If you want to have hold power, if you want to be a ruler, you need to divorce yourself from morality. Right? So, and, and Alinsky is very much in the same line. It's just that for Alinsky, he's like, well, the problem is that you, don't, you need to not just divorce it from morality, but you need to give whatever choices you make the cloak of morality. Because in fact, morality is a very useful way to maintain power. Don't divorce what you're doing from morality. Instead, say that what you're doing is a part of a new morality. <laughs> now you can see kind of where is it. So now you've got exact, exactly situations that we find ourselves in where positions that are antithetical to the gospel, such as being pro-choice, which it, it simply has no room in the entire history of Christianity, nor any room in the Bible, is being endorsed by certain people as if it has some, the, some sort of the cloak of Christianity. Well, this is dastardly. It's, kind of, it's complete, completely erroneous, and yet it's happening. Well, that's the influence of Saul Alinsky. How is it that in the name of morality, I can advance an immoral position? If I can advance an immoral position as if it was moral, I'll have an even stronger proposition to make in the body politic, right? So, so his thought is, is in a line with Machiavelli's, and he'll, he'll quote that. If you look at chapter one, which is the one I want you to analyze, go ahead and open your books here and, and take a look with me at chapter one. Uh, he starts with a direct quote. He says, what follows, this is in chapter one, is for those who want to change the world from what it is to what they believe it should be. The Prince was written by Machiavelli for the haves on how to hold power. Rules for Radicals is written for the have-nots on how to take it away. And so he, even though he kind of like shows that it's an inversion, it's actually using the same principles of Machiavelli. And this is the very first point of the chapter that I want to bring out. Is he, he underlines this many times. In the heart of this chapter is a sub heading called the ideology of change. And in this here, he, he really, you know, uh, explains a, a principle that he's going to speak of many times in his various interviews. He says, in order to do anything and make any change in the world, you have to start with the world as it is, not as you want it to be. You have to start with the world as it is, not as you want it to be. So he refers to that as a kind of pragmatic realism, which is outside of the context of moral judgment. I might not be happy with the world. I might want the world to be fair, to be loving, to be kind. And, but if I operate as if that world was present, I'll actually be disappointed and ineffective because the world is not that way. The world, according to Alinsky and for his philosophy, is actually devoid of those kind of values. And it's that those it's in order to bring the world into those values that you have to deal with the world as it is. And it's more or less a dog eat dog world out there. And that gives him the license to free up the conjunction between the ends and the means, which is his whole chapter two and say, basically any ends that work are ends that you are able to employ because you have a good goal. 
You want to see changes in the world. You want to see the world become the way that you wish it to be. Right? But it's not that way now. So you have to deal with it, not as you wish it to be, but as it is. Right? That's his philosophy. Well, you can see right away, this is not what Jesus Christ taught us one bit. I mean, our Lord didn't walk around the earth saying, you know what, I'm going to have to play dirty with those who play dirty. And it's interesting that Alinsky never refers to Jesus Christ in the book or his example, at least not in chapter, chapter one. He doesn't at all. Now, you know, and, and why is that? He'll usually speak of Jesus with respect, but he doesn't speak of Jesus as an example. He'll speak of, of Lenin. He'll speak of Marx. He'll speak of Gandhi. He'll speak of, of Martin Luther King. He'll speak of these people as examples, but he will not speak of Jesus Christ. And I think it's because, quite frankly, you can't use Jesus Christ as an example of this kind of philosophy. Jesus did not command us to take any means that we needed to to do something that was right. He gave us a different means, my friends. He gave us the cross, he said, if you would follow me, you'll pick up your cross daily and follow me. And he died upon that cross in a sacrifice of his life to the Father, which was sanctioned by the Holy Spirit and done under obedience to the Father's will. I mean, this is how Jesus wants us to lead. There is no other name in heaven or under the, under the earth that for which every knee will bow than the name of Jesus. But Jesus, his name was pronounced and proclaimed from on high from the cross. And we who follow him, we're going to lead from the cross. And we're going to lead to the cross and we're going to lead through the cross in the light of the resurrection. But that's a very different principle. In other words, to say we're going to lead this world not as the world is, but we're going to lead this world from the point of view of how God made the world to be. And the power of the cross that overcomes the world becomes what we bring into it. See, that very different starting point is going to lead to a very different leadership style and very different leadership choices. And yet, at the same time, you can't help but see the seduction and the seductive value of what Alinsky proposes. Because the, most people who are pragmatic will say, you know what, the cross doesn't work. Just like when our Lord was hanging on the cross and they said to him, why don't you come down from the cross and then we'll believe. You know, they, at the time when Jesus died on the cross, people saw it as ineffective for the changes and the good of the poor. Remember what happened with Mary Magdalene as she anointed the feet of Christ with her precious perfume. And Judas Iscariot says, why wasn't this money given to the poor? He doesn't understand power of love and the power of the cross. Well, either to, either to Saul Alinsky, to be honest with you. He doesn't either. <laughs> but, but, you know, but let, let's go on and, and go a little deeper in what he has to say. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Olinsky begins here in chapter one and he defines exactly what he's trying to do. The goal of this book is the, as follows. In this book, we are concerned with how to create mass organizations to seize power and give it to the people. 
to realize the democratic dream of equality, justice, peace, cooperation, equal and full opportunities for education, full and useful employment, health, and the creation of those circumstances in which man can have the chance to live by the values that give meaning to life. We are talking about a mass power organization which will change the world into a place where all men and women walk erect in the spirit of that credo of the Spanish Civil War, better to die on your feet than to live on your knees. This means revolution. All right, that's a direct quote from Alinsky here in chapter one, the purpose. And I think it's really honest. He begins the chapter right at the, right at the back. He says, you know, what we're trying to do is give power to the people. Now, you, and that's really the theme of the entire first chapter. He justifies that change in itself is the only constant of history. This is how he justifies his philosophy of power. If you, if you, to rule is to be in charge of the change. That's basically how he sees it. What a very different vision this is from St. Thomas Aquinas, who has, you know, to rule for Aquinas, it's to govern the common good of the people such that everything that is held in common goes to benefit each member of the society. And that common good itself has to be therefore related to the objective good towards which everyone is striving. I don't think Alinsky is denying that overtly, but he's kind of putting it in parentheses. He just puts it into the side. And he's like, look, what I want to talk about is how you can seize control to then do the good things that you want to do. You know, and obviously there's a lot of goodness in that sentiment, right? Who doesn't want to be able to do that? You know, he says, political realists see the world as it is an arena of power politics moved primarily by perceived immediate self-interests where morality is a rhetorical rationale for expedient action and self-interest. And then he goes on to try to prove it, you know, basically that no matter what happens, he's, you know, all of us are moved by self-interest. That's the world as it is. So if you want to pursue power, you're going to have to exert that power against my self-interest in order to advance your own. Right? Politics for him is morally neutral. He says, it is the universal tale of revolution and reaction. It is the constant struggle between the positive and its converse negative, which includes the reversal of roles so that the positive of today is the negative of tomorrow and vice versa. This view of nature recognizes that reality is dual. Okay, so, you know, you can look at this and criticize it in a million different ways. For example, you can look at the way he distinguishes the world into three categories. He says there are the haves, they want to keep. The have-nots, they want to get. And the have-a-little-want-mores, who want to do things, but are usually unwilling to do anything about it, okay? And then he quotes on, you know, he says that the haves are people of self-indulgence, and he quotes Tocqueville, uh, who says that the major downfall of America will come because of self-indulgence accompanied by concern for nothing except personal materialistic welfare, right? And then he, he says, therefore, you gotta be willing to accept conflict. Yeah, here's another great quote, right? He says, change means movement, 
Movement means friction. Only in the frictionless vacuum of a non-existent abstract world can movement or change occur without that abrasive friction of conflict. So you can really see how he's framing things. You have three classes, the haves, the have-nots, and the have-a-little-want-mores. And nothing will change unless conflict is allowed. Uh, at the end of the chapter, he actually speaks about how, in fact, people, in order to be their brother's keeper, have to be willing to exert sometimes violent pressure even in order to make things happen. He says, quote, I believe that man is about to learn that the most practical life is the moral life and that the moral life is the only road to survival. He is beginning to learn that he will either share part of his material wealth or lose all of it that he will respect and learn to live with other political ideologies if he wants civilization to go on. This is the kind of argument that man's actual experience equips him to understand and accept. This is the low road to morality. There is no other. That's exactly what Alinsky represents. I'm glad he put it in his own words. His thought represents the low road to morality. On the one hand, he'll say, I believe that the, the Judeo-Christian world view actually holds the key for the answer to how we should be in our world, okay? So he'll say the Judeo-Christian principles are the end target. This is what we're striving to produce. But the means that he takes in order to get there are means that not only entail friction, but that embrace friction as their primary motor. And so not only he calls it friction, of course, what he means by that is conflict. And what that spells oftentimes is disorderly, disobedient, illegal even behavior endorsed as a tactic to put pressure on the powers that be the haves to give to the, those in need the have nots. So you almost, he styles himself almost like a modern day Robin Hood, right? That that finds anything possible to do and anything justifiable so long as it advances his goals. And he'll actually say, as he puts there at the end of chapter one, there is no other way, for this is the world as it is. You either play according to the rules of this world and according to the laws of the, of the customs of this world, or you remain ineffective. My question for you guys is, is that true? Does leadership require such things from us today? What would Christ say about them? What does this look like in the light of the cross? Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. So they can say a lot of good things about Alinsky. Uh, and there's even a, a point where he references the fact that every year for many years, he would meet with the graduating class of a major Catholic seminary. Can you believe that? I, I found that astounding because, you know, his thought is so revolutionary, but he was respected by priests, by bishops, as a man who got things done, who understood the ways of this world, and Alinsky will even kind of cloak his thinking in Christian charity. He'll say, because you are, we are our brother's keeper, and because we're trying to be charitable, 
we need to be effective. I don't think anyone's going to deny that, let alone the priests that would come and meet with him every year or the bishops. He wasn't a Catholic and he wasn't working for the Catholic Church at all, but obviously his paths would cross and he knew how to collaborate with them. And many Catholics found inspiration in his teaching because he would constantly insist that he was trying to improve the lives of the poor and blot out injustice anywhere that he found it. The, the problem is, and I want to put this as a counterpoint, if you were to apply his tactics, <laughs> now just think about this, in either your business or your home life, or with any situation where you found that you needed to exert influence and impact, how would the end turn out? Would you find that you had a greater loyalty from your followers and a more dynamic impact if you employed and advanced your agenda by means of friction and conflict, if like Machiavelli, you were constantly turning your enemy against himself, working in subterfuge, working behind their backs, you know, on the one hand, you're tempted to say, oh my gosh, this is the way to power. Because in the political arena, the arena of, of competing interests and collaboration between peoples, it seems like there's no other way to move forward. But I, I want to put this to you bluntly. Did Jesus do that? Did St. Paul do that? Did the saints do that? What's the difference between Jesus Christ and Saul Alinsky? Well, well, one of them takes as his starting point the sin of this world and the sinfulness of this world, compromises himself with that sin or sinfulness in order to achieve an ideal that he puts forth in front of himself. And the funny thing is, in chapter one, he actually closes the, the chapter by talking about how he'll never really get to this ideal. It's like climbing a mountain, he says, and you get to a certain point with much effort moving upwards, and you think it's the top, and actually the clouds lift, and it's only a bluff. In fact, the height of the mountain lies before you again, and you have to constantly go up, 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 but then he says, isn't that the point to strive after good things, to try to do good things with your life anyway? You know, and, and you're like, well, well, it sounds like a noble aspiration, Saul. But in fact, you haven't striven for noble things because you've engaged yourself voluntarily in an, an ethics that has absolutely no absolute values to it. And he denies this. And in fact, the effort that you've engaged in, according to your own definition, is bound to be fruitless. I mean, at one point, I couldn't believe, you know, that this was written in there, but it's, he has these type of lines that suddenly contradict everything that he says. He'll speak about the relativism of the, of the organizer. He'll speak about the, the, theolo or the philosophy of converses, how everything's just an action and a reaction. He'll say that the one thing that he's doing today will end up creating any fact that will come around tomorrow to be just the opposite. And he says that there's nothing constant in what he's trying to do. So you could say, Saul, like, don't you realize you're contradicting yourself? Why, for example, does he take the Judeo-Christian values as the end goal? Is this just arbitrary? You know, where, where is he bringing this out? Where is he getting this from? Right? If, if you don't have something absolute... And he, and he claims them to be absolute. He says, this is what we're trying to achieve. 
that's fascinating to me again because he contradicts their very foundation by saying that nothing is absolute except these things right so he, he really places his energy completely in the means says this is really where he's focusing what he's all about my goal he says is to write a book to say how groups can seize power how they can be organized for the seizing of power but by doing that he contradicts at the same time his fundamental goal because if there is nothing absolute except the power to wield then there's no point in having the power to begin with if you're not in power in order to achieve something that's achievable then you're in power in order to maintain it and who's to say when you've achieved your goal so there's plenty of things to criticize but i want to fundamentally put yourself in his shoes and say you too have the decision to make as a leader what role will the ethics of christ play in your life Will you remain faithful to Jesus and faithful to the gospel, even if it seems like it's ineffective? There are several moments in the book where Alinsky criticizes that position, saying that's actually contradictory to Christ himself, etc., or that you clothe yourselves in the sense of morality while your brothers suffer for it. But I think his critiques, honestly, are too facile. I think that they're too naive, too simplistic. It's almost like he's building up a straw man of Christians. Because I don't know Christians who clothe themselves in that kind of morality, go to sleep at night saying that somehow or other there's nothing to be done. I've seen Christians be at the source of innovation, at the source of social justice. The same priests that would go and talk to Alinsky are talking to him because of Jesus and their priesthood and not on the contrary, because they're looking for a way out of it. This is a very important point. Your love for Christ impels you to action in the world, but it impels you to action in the world from the perspective of the cross and infidelity to the cross and working through the cross. The cross is not antithetical to change. The cross is the source of all true change. And we are not those who, like Alinsky, try to lead without the cross or lead apart from the cross. We lead in the cross and by the cross. We are Christian leaders who lead like Jesus did, even if it means hanging upon a throne. It's what overcomes the world. And the true salvation that people need, as much as the physical, is the salvation of their soul, which can be won by grace and by many other means. It's not putting the two in opposition. It's saying that the physical has its source in the spiritual and the spiritual is given to us by Christ. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.